1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest William Yateman. He is a senior uh, legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll be talking about events on Capitol Hill. Jack Tymon, former president of Westinghouse International and author. Uh, He lived in Iran during... Uh, the removal of the Shah. And anyhow, I want to get his perspective on what's happening in the Middle East. Phil Kirpin is the president of American Commitment, will be joining us, as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many, many books. He'll be joining us as well. It is October the uh, 20th, and on this day in 1803, the United States Senate approved a treaty with France, providing for the purchase of the territory of Louisiana, which would double the size of the United States. At the end of the 18th century, the Spanish technically owned Louisiana, the huge region west of the Mississippi that had once been claimed by France and named for its monarch, King Louis the 14th. Despite Spanish ownership, American settlers in search of new land were already threatening to overrun the territory by the early 19th century. Recognizing it could not effectively maintain control of the region, Spain ceded Louisiana back to France in 1801, sparking intense anxieties in Washington. Under the leadership of Napoleon Bonaparte, France had become one of the most powerful nations in Europe, and unlike Spain, it had the military power and ambition to establish a strong colony in Louisiana and kept out uh, Americans. Realizing it was essential that the U.S. at least maintain control of the mouth of the all-important Mississippi River, Early in 1803, President Thomas Jefferson sent James Monroe to join French Foreign Minister Robert Livingston in France to see if Napoleon might be persuaded to sell New Orleans and West Florida to the United States. By the spring, the European situation changed radically. Napoleon, who had previously envisioned creating a mighty new French empire in America, was now facing war with Great Britain. Rather than risk the strong possibility that Great Britain would quickly capture Louisiana and leave France with nothing, Napoleon decided to raise money for his war and simultaneously deny his enemy plumb territory by offering to sell the entire territory to the United States for a mere, get this, $15 million. Flabbergasted, Monroe and Livingston decided they couldn't pass up such a golden opportunity and they wisely overstepped the powers delegated to them and accepted Napoleon's offer. Despite his misgivings about the constitutionality of the purchase my little Constitution that has no provision for the addition of territory by treaty, Jefferson finally agreed to send the treaty to the United States Senate for ratification, noting privately, the less we say about the constitutional difficulties, the better. <laughs> they were even bad, trying to circumvent the Constitution back then. Despite his concerns, the treaty was ratified and the Louisiana Purchase now ranks as the greatest achievement of Jefferson's presidency. Amazing. $15 million increased, doubled the size of the United States. Stocks took a dive yesterday as investors searched Jerome Powell's latest public comments for clues about if the Fed would adjust rates. After Powell spoke, the 10-year Treasury yield approached the psychologically significant benchmark of 5%, which hasn't been reached since 2007. Mortgage rates reached a new 23-year high after the strong retail sales numbers came out this week. Morgan Stanley raised the Q3 economic growth outlook to 4.9% from 4.5%. And that's just amazing because only a year ago, Bloomberg economists predicted a 100% chance of a recession within a year. This is amazing stuff. Now raising the growth outlook to 4.9%. I don't know what's fe- fueling this right now. It's just amazing. The State Board of Education unanimously approved a rule Wednesday regarding the Charter School Review Commission, which will set the process to review charter school applications. The rule also sets forth a timeline in which the commission must complete its work, incorporate standard forms, and prescribes how the commission will inform the sponsoring district of an application approval and when the district must initiate contract negotiations. This new rule provides an alternative venue for prospective charter school operators to seek approval for the application, thereby expediting a charter school's ability to operate and provide a high quality education to students. Additionally, the presentation said the rule uh, produces or reduces a workload of school districts and increases high quality public school options for students. Now, Manny Diaz, who's the Commissioner of Education, said there are Uh, areas in the state that do not that do have a need for more choice and this would facilitate having that process be easier i want to be clear this is by no means watering down the quality uh, the quality actually i think the goal of this is actually to raise the bar on making sure that charter school applications that are approved are of high quality and meet the bar of our students so that we can get them into uh, those areas diaz said the commission uh, must consist of seven members who have charter school experience selected by the Board of Education and subject to the confirmation of uh, the Florida Senate. Uh, So, again, school choice moving forward in uh, Florida. Well, the big news, of course, was Representative Jim Jordan said yesterday he would seek a third vote for the House Speakership, a decision that came hours after he said he would pause but not abandon his bid. The reversal reportedly comes after a number of GOP lawmakers rejected a plan to grant temporary powers to Speaker pro tempore Patrick McHenry from North Carolina, while Jordan shored up support. McHenry, currently in his 10th term in Congress, has signaled he has no interest in a position permanently. A plan to expand his power, should, uh, should it come to the floor, may require support from Democrats given existing opposition from a block of GOP members. It is unclear when a third vote for Jordan may be scheduled. Uh, uh, Republicans have a slim majority in the House and can only afford to lose four votes. The current impasse began October the 3rd when former Speaker Representative Kevin McCarthy was ousted, followed by Representative Steve Scalise falling short in securing the support. The longest House, this is amazing, the longest the House has gone without a permanent Speaker was in 1856 when Representative Nathaniel Banks was elected after, get this, 133 ballots, 133 votes for Speaker of the House in 1856. Well, Israeli defense officials uh, told troops yesterday to prepare for an imminent ground invasion of the Gaza Strip, the latest in a string of signals suggesting Israel intends to conduct a major operation to root out Hamas and militants from the territory. The comments, roughly two weeks after Hamas launched a surprise attack in southern Israel, killing at least 1,400 civilians, come as, uh, as officials have suggested a more strategic operation. Separately, reports suggest that the United States will redirect some of its stockpile of uh, 155-millimeter artillery shells, typically used in towed vehicles like uh, howitzers, designated for Ukraine to Israel. The stockpiles themselves are U.S.-owned but stored in Israel for emergency use. In related news, more than 300 people have been arrested yesterday after holding a protest in the Cannon Building, home to the House lawmakers uh, next to the U.S. Capitol, the crowd was demonstrating for a ceasefire by both sides. More than 4,200 people have been killed in total over the past two weeks of fighting in Hamas, in uh, Palestine, and Israel. Well, President Joe Biden addressed the American people last night from the Oval Office trying to Uh, Tying together the conflicts of Ukraine and Israel, arguing we can't let terrorists like Hamas and Putin win. The president is asking Congress for reported $105 billion in new funding, which is already being met with resistance on Capitol Hill, with Republicans wary of giving out any more money to Ukraine. Seated at the resolute desk, Biden argued in his 15-minute address that the causes are the same that share a common enemy, Iran. Ohio representative, or Republican, I should say, Senator J.D. Vance excoriated the president for attempting to use the situation in Israel to force through aid for Ukraine. And here's what J.D. said. He said, what Biden is doing is disgusting. He's using dead children in Israel to sell his disastrous Ukraine policy to skeptical Americans. He said they're not the same countries and they're not the same problems. And this effort is to use Israel for political cover is offensive, said J.D., and I think he's absolutely right. A lot of senators and congressmen are feeling exactly the same way. Also, uh, on Wednesday, Biden announced that the United States would be sending $100 million aid package to Gaza and the West Bank. Today I'm also announcing $100 million in new U.S. funding for humanitarian assistance in both Gaza and the West Bank, Biden said in Tel Aviv. Aviv. This money will support more than $1 displaced in the conflict affecting Palestinians, including emergency needs in Gaza. Biden said he had spoken with the Israeli cabinet in the morning and requested that they agree to delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza. Based on the understanding that there will be inspections that they age should go to civilians, not to Hamas, Israel agreed that humanitarian assistance can begin to move from Egypt to Gaza. Uh, my bet is the humanitarian aid never reaches the civilians in Palestine, and it'll probably end in the hands of Gaza. Uh, also, President Joe Biden approached to the ongoing violence in Israel and Palestine is fueling mounting tensions in the United States government agency most involved in foreign policy. It's the State Department. So even the deep state is affecting the Joe Biden administration. Officials said Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and his most senior advisors are overlooking widespread internal frustration. Some department staff say they feel as if Blinken and his team are uninterested in their own experts' advice as they focus on supporting Israel's expanding operation in Gaza, where the Palestinian militant group uh, Hamas is based, there's basically a mutiny, this is a quote, there's basically a mutiny brewing within the state at all levels, one uh, State Department official said. Isn't that interesting? I wonder what their positions are. Are they supporting uh, Hamas? It would be interesting to know. Well, Ford Motor Company announced uh, additional layoffs yesterday of 150 workers, bringing the total number of affected Ford employees to over 2,730 as the United Auto Workers strike enters its sixth week. The strike began September the 15th and involves approximately 34,000 union members from the big three, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis formerly Fiat Chrysler, impacting facilities across 22 states. Last week, the strike expanded to the Kentucky Truck Plant, the largest and most profitable Ford facility, generating $25 billion per year, with 8,700 union members uh, joining the picket lines, imposing a daily profit loss of about $30 million. The union is pursuing various demands, including double digit wage increases, the restoration of pension plans, and more. <clears throat> the strike uh, effects continue to uh, ripple through the auto industry jeopardizing uh, smaller suppliers and disrupting uh, industry operations. In addition to the auto workers on strike, the big three is said to have laid off more than 6,000 workers. So this is uh, boarding on a catastrophe now for not only auto industries, but I would suspect for the workers as well. hope they can come to some sort of agreement. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest uh, established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 4541.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin as the president of American Commitment. Right now, we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation.
3: You bet. Uh, We're a nonprofit law firm, and we represent Americans for free, Um, from
1: government over or suffering from government overreach and abuse. That's a lot of Americans. (laughs) Alas. Uh, We really appreciate that. That, uh, The the website, by the way, I hope you'll check it out, is pacificlegal.org, pacificlegal.org. So let's talk about what's happening on Capitol Hill. Can you sort through and help us understand what's happening with uh, the election of of the uh, Speaker of the House?
3: Indeed. So uh, what's happening is the messy stuff of democracy. Um, and under parliamentary rules, under the House of Representatives rules, um, the body cannot legislate without a speaker, an acting speaker, and it takes a majority of the entire House to elect a speaker. Um, so we're entering our third week without an acting speaker. And uh, since we've last talked, um, I believe when we last talked, the speaker, uh, former Speaker McCarthy, had been voted out. Um, uh, Steve Scalise, a representative from Louisiana, two weeks ago threw his hat in the ring, but was unable to command um, a majority of the House, so he withdrew. And subsequently, Representative Jim Jordan um, from Ohio has thrown his hat in the ring. And this week, uh, he, I guess he's going in the wrong direction. Um, he's had two votes this week, and he was 17 votes the first one, and then 18 votes the second one. Um, he scheduled a third vote or a third vote on his nomination has been scheduled for today um, at 10 a.m., I believe. It's he, he, he vowed last night to keep on fighting through the weekend. Uh, however, it does appear the writing on the wall um, uh, is there for Representative Jordan. I mean, that is to say it, there's 20 odd uh, public, uh, oppositions. So, I mean, that 20 representatives in the GOP caucus have announced their opposition to his candidacy. So it doesn't seem as though he's got a viable path forward. Um, although again, he has yet to drop out. Um, and where next, um, there had been talk of empowering temporary speaker, Patrick McHenry, mm-hmm. um, from, uh, Patrick McHenry from North Carolina, uh, so he, in essence, in order to keep the lights <clears throat> on, and this is a post-9-11 measure, um, there's this entity, the, the uh, Speaker Pro Tem, um, and uh, uh, currently McHenry, who was a close McCarthy ally um, and is the financial services chair, he holds that role. So there had been much discussion and indeed a push yesterday to somehow empower this nominal title, I mean, this sort of caretaker role. Um, uh, to give it to give McHenry the authority to move legislation, um, but ultimately that was scuttled, and I think for good reason. Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't. It, it's uh, this is this is the sort of uh, endeavor that requires resolution. I mean, half measures won't cut it as a constitutional matter. Yeah. Um, so you know, where do we go next? There have been other candidates have been banded about. Um, Representative Jack Bergman from Michigan. So he's a former Marine general. Um, but he's uh, there's been chatter that that he would be uh, willing to basically serve out through the rest of the 118th Congress. And he's someone whom everyone respects. Um, Representative Mike Johnson, who I think is right across the, represents the district, uh, you know, due east from you right across on the other side of the coast of Florida. Um, uh, he's gotten some chatter, as is Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma. Um, but at this point, very fluid. It's, I'll say this, there is a popular conception being, uh, not manufactured, but the headlines, if you will, suggest this is a byproduct of disarray, you know, unprecedented incompetence, if you will, among the GOP caucus. Um, And I don't really see it that way. I mean, as I noted at the outset, this is the messy stuff of democracy. And the way things, the way things had worked in Congress, this sort of autopilot for the last 40 years. It wasn't cutting it. right? Um, so frankly, I find this a bit refreshing. And, and to be sure, there, there's lawmaking to be done. Um, but this is an important decision. And uh, 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 again, I don't take this, I guess, negative view, if you will. Yeah, to me, this is something that perhaps shakes up the status quo.
1: You know what, I couldn't agree more, William. I'm happy you said it that way. fact of the matter is, it, democracy is a messy... You're talking about trying to work with hundreds of people and getting a common view on, on moving forward. So, uh, it, you know, in, 19, in 1856, it took 166 votes to get the Speaker of the House voted into office. So this is nothing new. It was only 15 for, uh, for McCarthy. So I suspect that... Uh, Jordan will will end up with a job because there is no viable alternative to speak of, and uh, he's a good man. he has character, and he's also great. Got great leadership skills. So, uh, but an admonition to him: if he gets the job, he better stick to regular order and move through the process that uh, we've abandoned in the last twenty five years.
3: Here, here.
1: So before uh, before I let you go, I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, the Trump litigation, the federal judge in the January 6th prosecution, handed out a gag order on Trump, which is unbelievable, unprecedented uh, violation of his uh, First Amendment rights. What are your thoughts? He's
3: unprecedented um, and, and over broad. I think, is another apt modifier. Um, the judge could have limited the gag order to employees who worked at the court or actual jurors, um, but instead, you know, it, it encompasses the special counsel, it encompasses... Um, potential witnesses, including Mike Pence, uh, one of Trump's current opponent, opponents in the GOP primary. Um, uh, uh, I think all your listeners need to know about this gag order is that far left professor, of a famous far left professor, Erwin Cherominsky, um, penned an op ed in the LA Times this morning in which he calls the order unconstitutional. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've got the left wing of the professoriate um, coming down on this gag order, that then again, I think that tells you all you need to know.
1: William Aitman, again, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. PacificLegal.org is the website. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you, William. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Jack Timon. Jack is the former president of Westinghouse International. He's an author, and he uh, really look forward to this conversation. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
1: Are you looking to buy or sell a home? and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Maccionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Maccionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratiskel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida, The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services LLC, a registered investment advisor.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to remind you that uh, Wednesdays through Saturdays 4 to 8 p.m. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center is serving dinner and the menu is just terrific. It's casual, it's inexpensive, great value. I encourage you to visit Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center, Wednesdays through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m. Coming up, we're going to visit with Phil Kirpin. He's the president of American Commitment. Right now we have with us Jack Tymon. Jack is the former president of Westinghouse International. Jack, thank you, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
4: Oh, it's good to be with you, Bob, as always.
1: Thank you. Just for our listener's benefit, uh, Jack was a regular guest for years on the Bob Hard Show, uh, and uh, great to have him back, I must say that. Jack, uh, by the way, when the Shah was uh, uh, taken out of office in Iran, Jack and Lucille were living in Iran— and uh, so has some special interest and knowledge. Also worked uh, with, I think it was a, a national forum on uh, the Middle East. Jack, maybe you could tell us about that.
4: Sure. Um, I, live, um, I resided there in Iran with my wife and four kids uh, before and then during the revolution, and then got out right before the hostages were taken. Uh, and that, that's where modern-day... Jihad and you know terrorism started in 1979 when the Shah was driven out of the country and the the, the, the a country that was really moving forward, Iran, a country I loved, um, it was it was taken back a few hundred years or a couple of centuries and taken back into the darkness of of Islamism and it's been ruled by Islamic. Um, really fanatics ever since that's yeah. a long, long, long time, but that's where it all started. Yeah. And I was, I was, um, when I left Iran, I uh, became president and CEO of, um, Westinghouse international all around the world, seventy-five countries and spent a good portion of that time in the Middle East, also in Russia and China where were kind of hotbeds today. So my, I've been blessed with rather a unique insight into the affairs of the world, um, and uh, they're not all good right now.
1: No, they're not, Jack. And I I really would appreciate your thoughts about uh, what's happened with uh, Israel and Hamas.
4: Yeah. Um, by the way, I spent a great deal of time, uh, as you mentioned, I was on a, a committee. It was actually the President's Council for the Middle East and North Africa and the Near East. Uh, I was appointed by President Clinton and President Mubarak of Egypt, and we... We were 24 executives from the United States, half, half from the United States, half from the region. And our objective was to somehow marry the, 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 the amazing technology of the people of Israel with the m- much larger market for Israel around the whole Middle East, North Africa, and even into the Near East, and to get to get the peoples of the region um, Dependent on each other, we mm-hmm. we felt that we would privatize the peace process and make them all have to uh, have to get along because they were, their their money was invested in each other country. And we were making some progress along that line. But um, um, you know, I I learned in the process. I learned so much about Israel, and not so I didn't meet so much so many people from Namaha, Hamas, But I did meet um, Yasser Arafat. I had my photograph taken with him, and I. Subsequently, tore it up. So, um, but I, I do know quite a bit about the history of Israel and what's going on throughout the years, going all the way back to 1948.
1: So it's so interesting to me to see the the hate, which is a spontaneous reaction, I think, for people in the Middle East and uh, certainly the people in Hamas, probably most Palestinians, Saudi Arabians. Uh, the, the, the 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 list goes on and on. Yeah, I mean, Jordan wouldn't even
4: meet with our, our president, which is, and he was, he was you know, he was a um, kind of a golf shot away. Um, it, it, it's, it's just horrible. And the thing about hatred is it's not, it's not a natural human trait. It's not in our DNA, Bob. We don't come out of the womb yeah. hating anybody. We're taught to hate. And I, I'll give you one example of what happens in Gaza and Palestine and in Yemen and other uh, parts of Saudi Arabia. Um when, when a, a young child goes to school at the age of six or seven or eight, you know, that's the, the age from the song, right? You give me a child at six or seven or eight, and I've got that child the rest of that person's life. Well, when they learn arithmetic, and I almost hate to say this on the air, but the, the, the teacher says, okay, here's your arithmetic test for today. There are five Jews, and you behead four of them. How many are left? Yeah. And the answer is one. Five five uh, five minus four is one. Yeah. That's how they learn arithmetic.
1: My gosh. So
4: it's, but, it's, but you start that at an age, that age. And then again, you've got their parents and grandparents all remember someone who's been killed in, over the, over the last um, 70 years in, in the region. You know, uncle and aunt, a grandfather. And, and yeah, they hate. And of course they're only news and we're, 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 you know, in our own country we hear fake news, but in their own, in in those regions, all they hear is news, what they create news, just like they did two days ago, Bob, when they say a hospital was bombed by Israel, they just make it up, and even today, three days after the so-called hospital bombing, uh, they're still protesting in the streets because. Because children were blown up in a hospital. By the way, there's nothing one body shown of anybody blown up. A parking lot was hit behind a hospital that looked like the size of a garage. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's just a total fabrication.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so unfortunate, too. And my understanding is, and I've talked to people that I've talked to, is that people speak about the Jews individually as a, some sort of a punchline and a joke. In other words, yeah. they're, they're all disparaged. Within the society, it's accepted to make, uh, make uh, disparaging remarks about Jews. And uh, to, to put it bluntly, uh, anti-Semitism is institutionalized.
4: Yeah, and of course anti-Semitism is not limited to the Middle East, but that's where, done, that's where it's really all focused. But, I mean, we saw outbreaks all around the world, not just in the countries you mentioned. Um, yeah. Even in England, even in the capital of the United States, even in our own universities. And these are... Pro-Hamas, which means anti-Israel. I don't know how many of those protesters know the declaration and purpose of Hamas. It's not to destroy Israel. It's to kill every Jew on the planet. It's part of an Armageddon that is led by Iran. And by the way, Hezbollah up in Lebanon has the same mission. They're not trying to destroy Israel. They're trying to kill every Jew on the planet because they believe that's what they are taught in the Koran.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, it was revealed that uh, Qatar, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I'll call it Qatar or Qatar or whatever it, it is. Cut,
4: it is Qatar, yes. It,
1: it is Qatar. So, uh, apparently, they're housing the senior leadership of uh, Hamas, and they've been funding to the tune of billions of dollars uh, propaganda in public schools here in the United States to try and teach uh, anti-Semitism and support for Palestine. Yeah, I
4: actually, as close as I am to the, to the issues... Um, I didn't even know that until that came out um, this this week, uh, that, and that's a lot of money to, to propaganda in schools.
1: Right, but it, that it certainly explains why you have these students from Harvard and other places uh, standing up and prote- protesting in favor of Palestine uh, when, if they've been indoctrinated, uh, it, yeah. I don't. I'm not saying it should be justified, but you can understand where that comes from.
4: Well. I, I, I saw an interview on, on the street in one of these protests and the reporter went over to uh, a young woman, college, college woman, and said, well, why, why are you protesting um, about Palestine? She said, because Palestine is occupied by the Jews. And he, and he said, no, well, Palestine was, uh, was Gaza was given to the, P- P- the Palestinian people in 2004 and Hamas was elected to rule in Gaza in 2006. It was 17 years ago. It hasn't been occupied in
1: 17 years. Yeah, And she said, it's occupied now because there's tanks going in there. Unbelievable. By the way, Jack, I have so much more that I'd like to discuss with you, especially your new book, Adam to Dowland, uh, The Dream of Dreams, number one. Uh, I'm just looking forward to having you back on the show and talking about that. Just to, For our listeners' benefit, I hope you'll Google uh, Adam and T-A-O-L-A-N-D, I guess it's spelled Dowland. Uh, It's
4: pronounced Dowland, uh, Dowism, but yeah. Google
1: it, it, uh, or just just go on Amazon and buy it if you want to read it. (laughs) (laughs) By Jack Tyman, T-Y-M-A-N-N. Jack, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank you. My pleasure, indeed. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
1: Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America.
0: the Bob Harton Show and now here's your host Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show it's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse changing lives through exceptional theater experiences and you can find out more and get tickets to some great performances coming up the website is gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up I'm going to visit with Larry Bell a Dowd professor at the University of Houston in space architecture right now we have with us Phil Kirpin he is the president of American Commitment. Phil thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Phil, tell us about American
5: Commitment. Uh, We're a national free market advocacy group. We work uh, really on all the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues uh, from the perspective of free markets and economic freedom. And we try to get involved in the fights uh, where a little bit more citizen education involvement might make the difference and actually tip the outcome in a more free market direction. All our stuff is on the uh, Internet at AmericanCommitment.org
1: americancommitment.org terrific now you uh the uh, rains act is re- we're receiving some widespread report uh support should be bipartisan maybe you could tell us many people are not even aware what the rains act is maybe you could tell us about it
5: yeah this is one of our uh this is one of our long-term priorities at american commitment and i i want to say we've been trying to pass this bill for about 15 years or so at this point um and You know, that's fine, by the way. You know, the left, they work on things for decades, and they don't give up. So uh, I think this is one we have to stick with until we get it done, however long that takes. And it's a very simple concept. Um, It actually came from a constituent of a former congressman named Jeff Davis, a constituent of his name, Lloyd Rogers, uh, came to a town hall meeting, I don't know, 15 or 16 years ago now. He brought a constitution, and he brought his water bill. And he said, Mr. Congressman, my constitution right here in Article One, Section 1, says all legislative power is vested in Congress. So explain to me how the EPA doubled my water bill without you voting on it. <laughs> and uh, his, his congressman didn't have a very good answer to that. He basically concluded that his constituent was correct. And he went back to Washington. He sat down with legislative counsel and he said, you know, write a bill that will require that major regulatory actions by any agencies cannot Take effect unless Congress approves them. And uh, that became the RAINS Act, and uh, it's been refined uh, in, in various ways since then. But that's still basically the concept of the bill. Any economically significant regulation, any regulation that has a major effect on the economy, uh, the agency should not be able to directly impose it. They should have to send it up to Congress for approval first, and we follow the actual constitutional process for passing laws before major regulations can take effect, which is to say it has to be approved by the House and Senate and either signed by the President or subject to a veto override. And so, uh, look, everyone knows Congress can do lots of stupid things, so it's not like it would be the end of bad regulations, but I think the, the bad regulations would be uh, much less numerous under this kind of regime, and you'd be able to look up who voted for them and hold yeah. them accountable come election time. So it would be a major improvement if we could ever get this done.
1: Absolutely. I do have one question. Yeah, I, I think there's a threshold. Of, is it a $100 million or s- some threshold for uh, qual- requiring this kind of action on the part of Congress? Would Congress have to uh, support or have to vote on, for example, if uh, Trump won the presidency and he ended up cutting regulations like crazy to the tunes of billions and billions of dollars, would those have to be approved as well?
5: Well, you know, it's an interesting question because the the Trump administration was somewhat concerned with that uh, when we passed this in the House uh, when they were when they were uh, in office. And the way we dealt with that is we, we made an effective date that gave them, I think, a year or two before it took effect. So we kind of said, look, get, get your deregulation done before the effective date. But, you know, once this is in effect, it really should apply to everything, regulatory and deregulatory. It should be a process, uh, in my opinion, where Congress has to be firmly in the decision loop on this stuff. And uh, and I think ultimately that's, that's where you, you, what you want the end state to be. Now, in, you know, from my perspective, in an ideal world, we'd eliminate a lot of the existing bad regulations on the books, uh, you know, before this regime takes effect. But, of course, you know, if, we, if we're if we able to pass this bill, if we have a House and Senate that support it, uh, we'll probably can also get a lot of deregulation approved by the same Senate that would do that. So I'm not especially worried about that.
1: Well, and, and as I think about your response, it basically that complies with the right of the Constitution. So we don't want to do an end run around the Constitution because we like the ideas <laughs> that are being presented. So uh, you make a great point. So, so what are the what are the uh, barricades? What what's stopping the passage of this on a bipartisan basis?
5: Well, uh, we have had some Democratic support in the past. Uh, Joe Manchin has been a co-sponsor in some Congresses, although not in the current one. So I don't know what to make of that exactly. Uh, we've got a handful of Democratic votes in the House uh, at different times. Although well, the number's actually been going down. I think the last time we voted on, there was only one Democrat who voted for it. Uh, so. It's becoming more and more partisan, and what's happened is, uh, you know, some of the environmental groups and the labor groups and sort of some of the uh, left-wing advocacy groups that feel they've got a lot of influence at the various agencies don't like the idea of Congress being put back in the decision loop. And the other thing I think is, you know, not to be too cynical, but, you know, executive branch lobbying is a highly specialized thing. It's people who used to work at whatever agency. They can charge a lot of money. Uh, you yeah, any former congressional staffer thinks they can lobby Congress. And so there's a, uh, I think the the lobbying community uh, prefers the specialization that comes with a lot of the decision-making being uh, in the executive branch. So I think there's some institutional sort of uh, lobby world objections to it. But I also just think, you know, the the, the current democratic philosophy of government and of the world is that You know, people don't really know what's good for them. The experts and the uh, bureaucrats and the agencies need to tell people how to live and what to buy and what to do. And, you know, it's better to insulate that from the accountability that comes with elected officials voting on that stuff. And so I think that uh, in general, on the Democratic side of the aisle, they're kind of happy with the way things are. And so uh, that's why it's been difficult to get this done.
1: I think you're absolutely right. In fact, the same logic applies to the uh, attempt to elect a speaker of the House right now. Money pretty much controls the whole process right now. People are being funded by people who don't like uh, G- Jim Jordan. Are uh, uh, they're fun? You know, for the most part, funded. That part of their campaign finance is coming from uh, these these uh, constituents or from these lobbyists. So it's really disappointing. And I think you're making a great point. The fact of the matter is, and for our listeners' benefit. Right now we have uh, alphabet agencies making decisions and making laws, really creating a policy that has nothing to do with uh, the will of the people. And that's a problem. We need to get this corrected. And we can do that through the RAINS Act. That's R-E-I-N-S, RAINS Act, uh, to uh, create support. And uh, I guess the best thing to do would be to call our congressmen and make sure they're on board.
5: Uh, Yeah, we've got a pre-written letter if you want to send it to the Senate, urging them to support it and to vote on it. We have passed it uh, twice this Congress in the House, once in the House side, uh, once by itself and once as part of the Limit Save Grow Act, which was the very good debt ceiling bill that we had before we caved and did the very bad one. Right. And so I think if we ultimately get it passed, it'll probably be in the context of some big deal where it's, you know, one of the must-haves from the Republicans, and it gets put through that way. Doing it standalone would be very difficult because of, you know, filibuster in the Senate. Uh, But, yeah, that's the the big thing is uh, to try to get some some Senate momentum. But also we've got a survey of presidential candidates. We're trying to get them all to commit that they would sign it because, you know, even though most Republicans currently support it, it's one thing to support it before you're president. Once you become president, actually wanting to reduce the power of the agencies you control might not look as attractive. So we want to get them all on the record beforehand, uh, now, before you know the primaries, that they would sign this. And uh, we've had pretty good success. You can see the statements uh, that we've got from the various candidates on our website, but we do not have statements yet from any of the Democratic candidates, uh, for which I'm not holding my breath. Mm. Uh, but we also don't have anything yet from Doug Burgum or Vivek Ramaswamy. So if anyone interacts with supporters of those campaigns or with those campaigns, tell them to please send us a statement uh, so that we can have one from everyone.
1: Thank you, Phil. for that. I'd forgotten. If you go to AmericanCommitment.org, AmericanCommitment.org, I actually signed the letter and I sent it off. And it's a very good process and a formative process to encourage you to visit the website and send a, a, a letter to your guys you can do it just with the click, uh, filling out a couple of comments about yourself and a click on the on the uh, computer. So again, AmericanCommitment.org. Phil, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
5: All right. Have a good
1: one. You as well. Thank you. All right. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, a endowed professor at the University of Houston, space Architecture, author of many books. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I very proudly serve on their board. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature, and you can find out more by visiting the very robust website, the FGA. Dot org, TheFGA.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, a endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. He's also the author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It's a terrific read. And also he writes his column for Newsmax.com. If you go to Newsmax.com, you'll find his column, On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
2: Bob, I always enjoy your conversation.
1: I Thanks, do as well, Professor. And your latest column is Escalating Global Conflicts Only Highlight Our Incompetent Leadership. I think the title says it all, but maybe you could <laughs> tell us about it.
2: Yeah, I've got another article coming out today on the subject. And uh, I hate to pile on, but you know, the, the scary thing to me, one of the scary things is that uh, you know the Biden administration didn't cause all of the world problems we're seeing. For sure, but they they certainly contributed to a lot of them, and uh, you know we've got we've got conflicts raging now in in three different continents, and uh, I don't think it's com- completely coincidental that it you know it's happened with uh, the leaderships that we've had, and uh, talking most particularly about of course Russia, Ukraine, and you know Afghanistan. Of course, it's, it's old news now, but. We've got China on the march and, uh, concern about it, in you know, Taiwan, but now the eyes, of course, on Israel and, uh, Iran and, and their proxies, uh, Hamas and, and Hezbollah and others. So, uh, if you look at the, look at the leadership issue, it's, it's consequential. And, uh, I think most particularly, you know, we've, We've seen uh, recently some some news that uh, in 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 Iran uh, our State Department Pentagon has been penetrated. It looks like by uh, PLO Palestinian spies for some time. Hmm. You know, the State Department uh, uh, has has been uh, kind of a Oblivious to that, and uh, and and we've heard recently that um, more more about a fellow named Robert Malley, who was a negotiator from the very early day earliest days of, of the Obama administration on the joint on the joint, uh, uh committee on uh, I always forget the name JCPOA. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the Iran nuclear deal, and and uh, he's also advised envoy to to Iran, and it turns out that he's had his security clearance suspended for mishandling classified information. But more than that, he looks like he's been uh, involved with you know the uh, really getting other. Iranian agents into our government into the Pentagon and so on and if they checked his, his background he, I mean, he he was uh, very closely associated with with Palestinian Liberation Organization Yasser Arafat uh, PLO who was his unofficial godfather and so on but you, you know, look at this, this incompetence and then you you see, well, he, you know, you look at our national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, and realize that you know he knew he knew the Mali You know, for a very long time, they worked on the Iran deal together, and uh, also he was a classmate of Anthony Blinken, and they were they were good buddies for a very long time. So we really haven't played for for fools on this this whole thing, and and. You know, you look at the backgrounds, and Jake Sullivan was was just a really a stooge for Hillary, and 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 promoting the uh, what what became the Russian collusion hoax on, on Trump, and Anthony Blinken it was the CEO of Biden's think tank that was funded by the uh, you know by China uh, for for some time, and he's on secretary of state and that's also where classified documents were found. And, 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 and he uh, was also a friend of, of this Malley. So the fact that Malley had, you know, his people had gotten penetrated the state department and Pentagon and so on, I think shows, you know, shows, you know, totally ineptness on this. And, It doesn't. It doesn't need to uh, uh, any confidence. At least it shouldn't on our part. And I'm really sorry to say that.
1: No, well, it it also just kind of suggests duplicity. I mean, whose side are they on? I mean, just recently learned that Cutter has uh, been providing billions of dollars uh, for funding. Propaganda in uh, universities and schools across the United States in order to support Hamas and is and uh, Palestine. I mean, there's there's so much evil going on that uh, you begin to question who among us, which leaders, really support the United States.
2: Well, you know, when you look at Qatar and then the fact that uh, you know Blinken has has been there and trying to <clears throat> try, try to claw back that. You know that that money, uh, six billion dollars that we, uh, we, we you know that Biden had released of Iranian funds uh, for the for the five hostages we got, and of course now there's four times that many that are captured, new hostages and being held in Gaza, and uh, the uh, but you know the, the that uh, ransom money we paid. Uh, and and the money is is controlled by Qatar. It was, I guess, in a South Korean bank, and and in uh, and Qatar is housing, you know, the, the the leaders of Hamas in their capital. You know, they they live there, and you know, and we it seems like we're being played for such fools. Right. Because we have Biden's recent trip to. Um, you know to that region and and and, you know a hundred another hundred million dollars of money that we can't control Mm -hmm. you know being pledged you're probably going to wind up in moscans somebody's got to take away his checkbook uh, because it seems like everything is is Let's throw some money at it and uh, not really worry where it goes.
1: Absolutely. Again, Professor Larry Bell, a endowed professor at the University of Houston. Here's a great read. His latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design by Professor Larry Bell. Also check out his column in Newsmax. Uh, It's called onpointnewsmax.com. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: And Bob, same here. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests lined up for Monday's show, including John Mildmore. He's the uh, chief uh, editor for... Uh, feed.org also mark shulman the founder and publisher of historycentral.com and jim mctegg former baron's washington bureau chief will be joining us as well i hope you make it a great day and weekend on the paradise coast or wherever you are namaste
0: thanks so much for listening to the bob hardin show on the bob hardin broadcasting network